Happy Thursday, everybody. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. You're going to love today's podcast with Steve Stroop. Man, he's just got so much great help for you today uh, for your church. I also want to remind you that today's episode is brought to you by our good friends over at Portable Church Industries. Listen, I love PCI. Uh, They are releasing all kinds of information and help in this season for churches like you. Uh, that are portable, whether you're you know, planning on meeting in a school or in a movie theater, you need to reach out to Portable Church. Uh, even if you've never used them before, now would be the time for you to reach out and talk to them. Just go over to portablechurch.com forward slash unseminary and you can book a call with them today. Uh, they not only provide coaching, they'll help you think through all the issues you need to think through, but they also do full system builds. Everything from AV to baby diapers, the whole system. Plus, they've been doing new kit solutions that are um, making streaming super easy to do. They are the company that you need to reach out to and talk to today about all your needs on portability. All right, let's jump in uh, with today's episode. Let's go. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. Are you looking for practical ministry help to drive your ministry further, faster? Have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of others in pursuit of stuff that we wish they had taught in seminary. Buckle up and let's get started with this week's Unseminary Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad to have you tuned in. Uh, Today we are in for a real treat. Excited to have this individual on our podcast. Been looking forward to this for quite a while. We have got Steve Stroop from Lake Point Church. Uh, Welcome to the, the podcast, Steve. Hey Rich, it's good to be with you today. So honored to have you on. Um, you know, I you you've been serving uh, so many churches for so long, and I'm excited uh, to have you kind of help our listeners today. Why don't we start with you telling us a little bit of the Lake Point story? Uh, give us a sense of what's happened there uh, over these last few years. <laughs> yeah, I uh, actually started as the first pastor of Lake Point 40 years ago. I was a seminary student at the time, and we started this church just east of Dallas on Lake Ray Hubbard. And it's just been a good, solid, slow growth during that time. Uh, I think we started off with a launch team of about 60 people in attendance. And then I handed off the baton, actually, to the second pastor of Lake Point, uh, Josh Howerton, who's doing a fabulous job, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. last February. And uh, at that time, we were running about 15,000 in attendance with about eight campuses. So I've had the privilege of pastoring a lot of different sized churches, but not having to go to a new place. <laughs> That's great. That's fantastic. Well, one of the things we hear from uh, church leaders quite a bit when they when they get honest around uh, some of the pressures they feel, oftentimes, you know, this whole area of finances and how do we encourage people um, in their generosity comes up. And you really are um, a leading voice in this area. You're one of those people that have been, I know, have been so helpful to so many church leaders. You have led, you know, in that area in, um, you know, in so many great ways. Why don't we start it, start with when you think about how do we encourage generosity with our people? What's your starting point? Your kind of starting mindset? How do we approach this? If if I'm a church leader listening in today that would like to encourage generosity in the season? Yeah, I think you start with the pastor's heart. Uh, you mm. start with the pastor himself, because I think a lot of pastors have a, a bad uh, perspective on fundraising. They feel like mm. that they're being a burden to their people. If they ask them for money, they think that they will fall into a kind of uh, uh, a caricature of a church always asking for money, or we only care about your money. And And obviously, the scripture says that it's a privilege for our people to participate by investing in the kingdom of heaven. And that we're doing our people a favor when we invite them 
to be a part of that process, even more important than that, because God could create financial resources anywhere. It's a part of the discipleship process for our people to give away their selfishness and to invest in others. And so we've got to change how we think about it as a pastor, or we'll never take the role that only we can take, and that's as chief financial officer. Mm. Oh, that's good. I love that, starting even with our own heart and our own kind of attitude towards that. Um, have you seen there, and, and this may be uh, you know, a little bit, maybe a bit of a curveball question, but have you ever seen a connection in churches between, say, a pastor's, their own generosity and that connection to, um, you know, what's happening in their in their church? Do we see a connection between those two often? Oh, my goodness. Of course, of course we do. And, and I think mm-hmm. one, another hesitation that pastors have is that uh, they uh, don't want to ask their people to give because they're going to have to deal with that generosity issue. Okay? <laughs> yes, yes. And, yes. And you really can't speak boldly about that if you haven't already come to believe that personally that it is more blessed to give than to receive. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I've seen that, you know, in, in the ministries I've been a part of over the years that, you know, every time we step out, I, you know, I've got to consistently ask myself, Hey, how, how am I plugged into this mission? This is not something I'm trying to get from our people, but really, you know, something I want for them to really help them increase their generosity. Now you've coached, taught a, a lot of churches on this topic. What would you I'm sure there's oftentimes you find yourself giving similar advice to encourage churches on the kind of tactical, practical side of increasing their generosity. What would be some of those areas that you would want churches to address when it comes to increasing generosity? You know, one is just to understand that people have uh, giving languages just like they have love languages. Uh, most mm-hmm. of us are familiar with Chapman's love languages, where he talks about the fact that if we're going to love someone, we need to speak to them in their love language. And all of us need all five of the things that Chapman talks about in his book. But he said there's a particular love language that if you don't speak that love language, for example, you may be married to someone, their love language is service, or you may have another a situation where you have a child whose love language is undivided attention. And and you could say, I love you, and you can serve them. But if you don't give them undivided attention, then they don't really feel like they're loved. In the same way, I think there are giving languages as well. And I think our our people need to give for a variety of reasons. And they ought to give just because God's commanded it. And it's it's an act of trusting him. But, But they're most passionate when they can find their lane. They can find the the giving language that they have. Years and years ago, I heard John Maxwell say that there are five love, I mean, giving languages. I don't know who John stole it from, but I stole it from John. <laughs> yes, yes. First of all, there's the love general it. ministry, and there are people who give, and they don't have to know where the money is going. They don't have to have it designated to a certain place. They just, they're, they're, they're rule keepers, and uh, mm-hmm. they will give just because the Bible said to give. And, and they will give to the general ministry budget and trust you to do whatever you're going to do with it because they trust the leadership. But there's other people that are going to be more passionate about giving to a building project. They're what I call brick and mortar people. They want to see something come up out of the ground and they may give, you know, conservatively to the general budget. But when you get ready to build a children's building or when you get ready to build uh, a playground or you get ready to build an auditorium, they will give more. They'll give above and beyond because that's their passion. Then there are other Mm -hmm. people who give that way to missions. And again, they might give to the building fund, they might give to the ministry fund, but when they have opportunity to give to the big C church, uh, when they have an opportunity to bless other people uh, outside of the immediate church, they're going to want to step up in in an extraordinary way. And then there are other people 
whose giving language, primary giving language is compassion. And I know there's a little overlap between mission and compassion because some of the mission work we do has a compassion component to it. But there are people who are wondering why we're building orphanages in uh, Ghana, West Africa, when there are kids who don't have a home in Dallas, Texas. And, and they'll give to local compassion. They'll give to job training. They'll give to pay for a single mom to have a, a car so she can get to work. And uh, whereas they won't give to the general budget or won't give to farm missions. And then there's a final category, which is I call a directed designated giving. A lot of pastors are afraid of this category mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because if they give, they're afraid if they give their people an opportunity to designate where their gift goes, that they'll co- somehow control their budget. First thing you need to understand is your people are not that organized. Okay. <laughs> they're not going to be able to control it. But I, I think when you give them some direction and designated giving, sometimes it sparks unusual generosity. For example, uh, once a quarter, we give our people a list, everything from $40 up to $40,000 of something that we know we're going to need to spend in the next year to two years anyway, that's going to be included in our general budget. It's going to be included in a resource initiative. Mm-hmm. So for, for example, we need two laptop computers for our student ministry. Well, here's a guy in your church who is in IT, so he understands the value of IT. And he happens to have two kids in the youth ministry. And he'll write you a check for $3,000 to buy two $1,500 laptops for the youth ministry when he would never write that to pay for the utility bill that's covered in the general budget. And so you want to give that opportunity. So every year, my encouragement to the, the guys that I coach on a local church basis is give your people a chance to give to all five of those categories in some way. Now, very quickly, let me just tell you, general ministry budget, 52 weeks out of the year, either on the website or in an offering envelope. Same thing with building and missions. But compassion, we take up our compassion offering every Christmas Eve, and we receive enough money during that compassion offering to cover all the legitimate, benevolent, and compassion needs that comes our church's way all year long. And what Mm -hmm. that keeps us from doing is standing up and taking an offering up two to three times a month, every time there's a hurricane, every time there's a tornado, every time a house burns down in the neighborhood, we can get up and say, hey, we want you to know that when that happened, we immediately responded with the money you gave last Christmas Eve. And then it keeps you from nickel and diming your people to death with uh, hundreds of offerings. And you're really just taking five offerings a year. Interesting. So uh, yeah, there's, I love that. First of all, super practical. I love the idea of this kind of five um, languages of giving. I think that's, you know, very clear. What would you say to a church leader that may hear that and say, well, I really, we really just want to give, get people to give to general ministry by, by kind of offering these four other categories. Aren't we just kind of cannibalizing ourselves? Um, what, what would you say to a church leader that would say that? Yeah. What I would say is you don't understand that there are different giving pockets. There are people right. who will give to just one of those. There are okay. people who give to all five. And if mm-hmm. you somehow say, well, we're just going to have, uh, let's call it one fund, uh, where mm-hmm. we're going to ask everybody to give into the deal. And and, that, and and every once in a while, we'll tell them, you know, and, and 10% of this goes to mission and, and 3% goes to local compassion. And by the way, we, we bought a computer uh, with some of this money for the youth ministry. Well, you don't have time to explain that all the time. And, and so what you need is catalytic systems where you're touching these particular areas throughout a year, but without just beating your people over the head with different offerings. For example, we never really mentioned, I say we never mentioned the general 
ministry budget. It's it's mentioned every week at the end of our service. We'll say, hey, it's time to take our offering. Uh, here's just one of the things that your offering provides. And we do a little vision moment, but it's not a big push. It's not a heavy handed type of thing. Uh, once every four years, we do a resource initiative because I think there's money that's left on the table when churches don't do specific resource initiatives about once every four or five years. And, and obviously the biggest emphasis on that is a capital project. And that touches those people who have that giving language of giving to the building fund. But we also always include in that resource initiative, a something to turbocharge our missions efforts. And so it, it takes the edge off of the fact uh, uh, the, of some of the people in your church who do not have the gift of building giving. And then we also include something in there, which I call a new initiative. And it's just something that we uh, we want to take a new hill, but it's going to take an extra offering that it's beyond what we could cover in our general fund. So if about once every four years, I'm doing a capital project and enhancing our missions and launching a new initiative, uh, I'm, I'm taking a building missions uh, and, and compassion offering and, and in a way a designated offering uh, once every four years. Like I said, every Christmas Eve, we take a compassion offering. Uh, every uh, December, we make a special emphasis and ask our people to give above and beyond their normal gifts to the church to what we call our on-mission annual offering. And, and what it does is it provides a lion's share of the money that we need to fund our mission efforts here and around the world, which means, by the way, when you take that offering, you don't have to put missions in your general budget, and it sets another portion of your general budget free to do uh, your local ministry. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, a, a critical piece, I would think, of this whole process, or I found in the past, is acknowledging donors, thanking them, um, yes. you know, going out of their way to say thank you for that. What, what, what do you recommend on that front? What kind of system should we be building when it comes to um, acknowledging donors in our churches? Well, the key is in your question, and that is what kind of systems. We need catalytic systems that happen when we're concerned about this and when we're not concerned, when we're ahead of budget and when we're behind budget. It ought to happen without us thinking about it. And I think there's several things. First of all, it's an introductory thank you. Every time you receive a first-time gift, there ought to be a note that goes out from the pastor mm -hmm. that says, hey, thanks for your generosity and support and what we're doing here and around the world. And all the pastor has to do is sign his name. It can be customized to the individual or couple. Dear Bill and Sue, standard message that everybody gets, but then the pastor puts his name on it. And it mm. was a typical thing when I was pastoring here at Lake Point for me to sit down on a Monday or a Tuesday and to sign about 20 or 30 of those cards. And it basically said, hey, you gave and we noticed we appreciate it. The second thing is when somebody gives a second time, that indicates something a little different. And so what we would typically do is we would not send them another card from me, but we'd send them a, a real short little story about a life that was changed with a photograph on it for the visual learners. And then it would tell them different ways they could give and to different, uh, 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 again, to the back to this giving language, different things that they could invest in. And then also told them how they could automate their gift. Mm -hmm. And then what I like to do is I like to send a handwritten note once a year to what I call key donors. And these are people that I think have the gift of giving. And I define the gift of giving as someone has an inordinate ability to make money and the spiritual wisdom and discernment to know how to invest it in the kingdom of God, that it has the best eternal return on their investment. 
Mm -hmm. there are people in your church who have the gift of giving and they need attention, just like your people who have the gift of teaching, people who have the gift of leadership, people who have the gift of helps. We disciple all those people, but somehow we're a little shy or hesitant to disciple those who have the gift of giving. And so what I want to do is, first of all, I want to acknowledge once a year, handwritten, a total handwritten note to anybody that would give a a one-time gift of $2,000 or more. Now, I'm not going to send them a note every time they give a $2,000 gift. Let's just say somebody gives $24,000 a year and and they're writing a check for $2,000. I'm not going to do that ever, but I want to do it at least once and just Mm -hmm. to thank them with that handwritten note. And then I want to take my largest donors every year, get all my donors in descending order. And then I want to highlight the ones I don't know very well. Other guys who serve on our board, I'm not going to take them to breakfast or lunch and thank them for giving. They know I appreciate their giving. I see them all the time, but there are people during the years that I have looked up and somebody gave 30, 40, $50,000 to our church. And I couldn't recognize them in a police lineup. Right. <laughs> right. Yes. And, and, and so I'll just highlight them. And, the, and then my assistant is going to set up a breakfast or lunch. Typically over the years, it was a Wednesday. And so every Wednesday I knew I had a breakfast with a key donor and their spouse and a lunch with a key donor if they were married and their spouse. Mm-hmm. And I would simply go to lunch with them and I would thank them for investing in our church. And then I would ask them three questions. First question would be, is there any way we can do a better job of ministering to you and your family? That's pretty much a throwaway question. Nobody writes a check for $50,000 to your church if they're unhappy. Yes. But the second question was huge. And that is, do you have any questions about where we're headed as a church or why we do what we do the way we do? Mm -hmm. This This gives the donor an opportunity in a positive way, in a non-threatening way to give input to the church. And it doesn't mean you're going to do what they say, but if you're doing something and they don't have any understanding of what your rationale or your strategy is, it gives you a chance to interpret that. And I just think it's a positive way to ask for people's input. Those larger donors, the number one complaint when researched was the people, the church is always asked for my money, but they're never asking for my opinion. And this Mm, is a way you're really asking for their opinion of, is there anything that makes you scratch your head? because you don't know where we're going or scratch your head because you know where we're going and, and you really question about whether or not it's wise or not. The last question I'm going to ask a key donor is I'm going to ask, a, how can I pray for them and or their family? And then I'm going to go and add them to a prayer list. And I want to invest spiritually into their life by praying for them just as they're investing in our church. Now, mm-hmm. a little nuance right here, Rich, in, in the latter uh, year, year and a half, We've switched from having the pastor meet with a couple or an individual to thank them and to get to know them better to group meetings. And so Mm. now we're meeting with either four couples or three couples and two singles. And uh, we're not asking exactly the same same question. We're just asking them to go around and talk about their relationship with church, how they came to Lake Point, that type of thing. But then we're moving to the second question, and that is second and third question. Do you have any questions about where we're headed as a church, or why we do what we do the way we do, or and then how can we pray for you? And we found the dynamic of having four couples or three couples and two singles. Uh, the dynamic is so much more exciting because they're yeah, bragging cool. on the church to each other. And they're, and they're talking about how they got saved or how their kid got saved. And then they're seeing how the church has been blessed. Other people have been blessed and not just their families. And so now we've moved to that more, it's still a small group, but it's uh, the group concept versus the donor concept in terms of that uh, donor development. 
you mentioned this uh, as we were talking there, but I'd love for you to pull it apart a little bit more. I do think, um, you know, I've experienced very similar to the kind of thing you're talking about there, but I know there are pastors that are listening in that are super hesitant around access to donor data themselves, um, or there may be, you know, other leaders that would be hesitant to that. Can you pull that apart a little bit more? Help us understand why it's a best practice for you as a senior leader, maybe executive pastor to have access to that data. Why, uh, what would you say to someone who said, listen, I'm just not sure I'm interested in in knowing that um, at our church? Well, I think it's actually a very common, I think it's more common than not that, mm-hmm. that, that in fact, most pastors at some time have made this really stupid statement. Hey, I just want you to know, I don't know what anybody here at the yes. church gives. It's just <laughs> a, don't say and, that. And I yes. think what they're trying to say is, I want to let you know that I'm not going to treat you any different, and I'm not going to treat wealthy people any different than poor people. Here's the truth: is you don't tell uh, who's wealthy by looking at their giving record. You tell who's generous. You mm-hmm. already know who the wealthy people are in your church are. You can look at the parking lot and tell that. You you know (laughs) what they're driving or what they do for a living. And so if you're tempted to violate the principles in James to treat a rich person better than a poor person, you've already got enough material to tempt you in that area. So it's not it's not about treating rich people better. It's about shepherding people. Here's what the scripture says. It says, wherever man's treasure is, there his heart will be also. I have been called to shepherd my people's hearts. How can I shepherd them if I don't look at the what the Bible says, the number one indicator where their heart is? Mm-hmm. And how do I develop people who have the gift of giving if I don't know who has the gift of giving? Now, the only warning here, caveat, the only temptation you are going to have as a pastor if you start looking at giving records is anger. Okay? <laughs> it, sure, it, sure. It, it's not cozying up to the rich people. Again, you've already got enough material to do that. It's about people who are telling you what to do and how to run your church and who are pretending that they're following God, these people are robbing from God. And when you find that out, you're going to have to keep it in confidence, obviously, but you also have to guard your heart to understand that's just where they are and you still love them and you still minister to them. But how in the world would a pastor lead a church, put people on his boards and not even know if they're stealing from God? I'm not going to have somebody on a board. I'm not going to have them lead a ministry. I'm not going to have them to be a small group leader if they're not being faithful in their giving because it's a sign of a spiritual maturity. Yeah, that's, I think it's good advice. And, you know, I have found um, over the years, I've been more encouraged by what I've seen in giving data yeah. than discouraged. I've been, frankly, humbled by those people that are, you know, in those top groups, top 50, 100 donor families. Um, you know, I'm always like, wow, praise God for his people. Um, you know, and, and, you know, my experience has been folks, particularly near the top of that, the vast majority of those people are humble folks and they are happy to give their, they truly do have a gift of giving. Recently, I actually had a friend of mine teach me this question. He said, you know, if you're ever in one of those conversations, uh, and you've maybe had a couple of those conversations, ask the question, where did you learn to become generous? And, um, so I asked this question of a donor like that once, and he looked at me as if I had just asked him the strangest question ever. And he said, well, I'm not generous. And and this person represent, you know, they they give, you know, more than you and my salary together. And I don't know how much you make. And, um, you know, they, and I'm like, well, clearly you are like, you've really helped us. And they're like, no, I'm just doing what God told me to do. You know, this is just what I believe he's, you know, and, and, and frankly, I think their, the subtext of their answer was like, you know, I, I am just doing what God's calling me. Oh, man, I could do a lot more. Um, and maybe I should keep th- thinking that way. So 
um, I would encourage church listener, church leaders that are listening in. That's an area you need to uh, work through. Listen to Steve's advice. Rewind what we just talked about. <laughs> Listen to it again, Steve. When this whole area of digital giving, you know, over obviously over this year with our shift with COVID and coronavirus and all that, um, you know, there are churches that were caught. Uh, in a tough spot. They had not made that transition. Um, What advice would you give to churches who maybe still haven't made that transition? Or what are the best practices we need to be thinking about around, you know, online giving, that sort of thing? Yeah, I do a lot of uh, online and uh, phone coaching. And uh, and my clients who have done well during this uh, COVID are those who, who paid attention to this before it happened. And then the others were having to play catch up. And so there's no question. I think during, uh, as we come out of this, I think you just want to educate your people. That's why w- when somebody gives for the second time, we send them that little brochure that says, click here, here, and here to automate your giving. Yes, and I think yes, yeah. it makes sense to your people that people want to give. We're just making it easier for them to give. Another technique I think you can use is you can use uh, where you send an email once a month to all of your people who consider your church, their church home. Mm-hmm. Whether you have a membership or not, we have a membership, but it, and that's who we send it to. But even if you don't have a membership, you know the people are in small groups, they're serving, they're attending on a regular basis. Just send them a short email, and keyword is short here. Don't make mm-hmm. them read a book, but it just says, you know, thank you for your generosity. Here's a life that's been changed because, uh, and you could even do a thing here, click more to hear more about the story, and they can, re- for those who, you know, read the back of cereal boxes, they can go and read the rest of it. But then you give them an opportunity to click here to give or better yet still automate your giving so we can plan boldly for the future. And and so what you do is you make it easy for people to give online uh, by by sending them uh, emails and saying, here's how you give online. Click here to do that. And uh, j- just take them through that step. Now, there's some of the folks in your church who who just will never do that. And that's OK. But I do think that if we can help them give online and then better yet still, I think the greatest opportunity for increasing uh, the generosity of your people is automating their giving. Cause here's the truth. Bill thinks Sue's wrote the check and Sue thinks Bill wrote the check. And oh, if, they're out of the t- if they're out of town, they just miss and they never go back, rarely go back and play catch up. And so when you can get your folks to automate their giving, it's the gift that keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very good. I heard about a church recently. Obviously, we're all living, you know, living in different phases of reopening. But this church uh, in, in California, they anticipate a large church anticipate not uh, being able to, you know, kind of have people back for quite a while, and so they um, did something I thought was pretty innovative. They looked at their giving records for the last year, and they said, okay, all the people that have given more than five hundred dollars but have not given online. What they did was actually get, um, mail them, believe it or not, mail them uh, self-addressed stamped envelopes to the church um, saying, hey, here are 10 envelopes or eight envelopes. Um, you know, we would love, you know, and, and same kind of thing, articulated how why giving is important and, and so on and so forth. And they saw a massive bump in that giving because it was, again, trying to make it easier for those people who haven't made the switch to uh, to online giving. That's, that's yeah, fantastic. Just making it easy for them to do what they want to do anyway, because they've indicated they wanted to do that. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Now you mentioned there that you do coaching. What does that look like when you, if you're, if there's church leaders that might be listening in and say, Hey, I might be interested in, in talking to Steve more about this in my church. Yeah. I love to do coaching to help increase generosity. Also like to help do coaching in terms of resource initiatives and raising special offerings for not only capital campaigns, but new initiatives and expanding people's missions. 
opportunity. I love to do work with hiring staff. Talk about save some church some money by not hiring the wrong staff. It's expensive to hire the wrong staff. And then to take and how to coach the staff that you have to get the most out of them. And I enjoy doing that. Uh, I work on a sliding fee basis so that every church can afford me. Uh, and uh, you can contact me at Steve S at lakepoint.org. And Lakepoint is spelled L-A-K-E-P-O-I-N-T-E. It has a silent E on it. So it's Steve. <laughs> it's Steve S at lakepoint with a silent E dot org. And just uh, inquire about what coaching would look like. Uh, typically what I do, those guys that uh, and gals that I coach, uh, I'll uh, coach them for one hour a month, uh, 10 months out of the year. There's always Christmas, spring break, and uh, we, but we can usually get in 10. And, yep. and first of all, I ask them to give me vital information on their church, and we begin to pick the low fruit. Somebody mm -hmm. once asked Rick Warren, they said, what can I do to get my church to grow? And Rick said, you've asked the wrong question. All living things grow. You ought to be asking the question, what am I doing that's keeping my church from growing? Mm, and that's, that's been good. kind of my philosophy for coaching is I want to come in and look at everything a church is doing. And I want to go after the low fruit and say, hey, let's eliminate some of the stuff that's keeping us from growing. For example, if you don't have a strong small group ministry, which is so basic to a church, uh, somebody once said, if you don't have a strong small group ministry, your church will become one. And I believe that. Mm. It will remain a small group because it will do what only a small group can do because you don't have small groups are doing that. But just to look at a church, uh, their parking situation, their nursery situation, age group ministries, and just say, okay, what are the things that are just obvious that are not happening here? The number of baptisms. You know, apparently there's not a, a, a culture of uh, uh, relational evangelism that you're, how can we attack that? And by attacking the low fruit and removing the things that are keeping us uh, from growing. Uh, and obviously one of them is our topic today, which is not having uh, adequate financial resources, more importantly than that, not discipling our people by giving them a chance to grow in their giving is one of those constraining factors. And so I love, I love, it's like eating homemade ice cream to t work with the church, <laughs> to uh, uh, work with the church, to uh, uh, remove those barriers to uh, a living natural thing. we got the best product in the world. We just need to get out of the way sometimes. Right. Well, Steve, I really appreciate you being uh, on the show today and kind of wetting our appetite for this whole area of increasing generosity. Thank you so much for that. Uh, you've given your email address. Is there anything else you want to say as we wrap up today's uh, contact or today's conversation? Yeah, there's about six hours that we could do on uh, increasing <laughs> generosity and also right. some of that boring stuff like how do you budget and how do you project budgets, how do you stay within budget and that type of thing. I actually have a book called Money Matters in Church. Mm -hmm. uh, it's still being published because it's used as a uh, resource for seminary, uh, for three different seminaries, but Money Matters in Church by Steve Stroop and Aubrey Malfers. And you can read more there. And I really encourage you to buy that book because when you do, I get like seven cents per copy. <laughs> and, and, nice. and my goal is to have enough of that to be able to buy dinner one day. So uh, nice. if you grab one of those, that would be helpful. Yeah. Well, eventually you could take your lovely wife out for a dinner. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Great. Well, Steve, I appreciate you being on the show today. Thanks so much. I uh, appreciate your help and guidance today. Yeah, it's, it's great to be with Rich. And thank you for what you're doing. 
Thank you for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Don't be shy. We'd love to connect. Check out Unseminary Inbox. You can sign up at unseminary.com and we'll send you helpful training resources every week. Plus, you'll gain immediate access to our exclusive members area with tons of resources you can use. Connect with Rich on Twitter at Rich Birch or through email rich at unseminary.com Don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode at unseminary.com It includes links to what we talked about today and more. Leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. Did you enjoy today's episode? Drop by iTunes and leave a review. Thanks again for tuning in to this week's Unseminary podcast. Join us next week when we'll learn more stuff we wish they taught in seminary.